part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We are in the second week of Advent. If you were here last week, we, we lit this first candle, this candle of hope. And we talked about how hope is this essential thing that uh, that has to be a part of our life if we, if we are to wait well. Because we are a people that are in between the two advents of Jesus Christ. Advent, the word means, it's a Latin word that means coming. And, and basically... Christ came, as we know, he came already 2,000 years ago, and he's coming again. We don't know when that's going to be. And so for you and I to be alive in this day, as we've placed our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, as we live here on this earth, we're in between the two advents. And so it's oftentimes that this time of year that we would have an advent season that would build up this anticipation, appreciation, number one, of what the first advent, but this anticipation of this second advent. And yet we discussed last week and we confessed, I think it was more of a confession than it was a discussion, that we don't wait well. And and I still haven't found anybody in our congregation, I haven't found anybody really in my family, I haven't found anybody that I've really come across and said, you know, I'm just excellent at waiting. And that's not one of the things that happens to us just in our natural flesh, in our natural mind. We want things when we want them, and we want them how we want them. So this waiting is really a difficult discipline that we must learn from Scripture, that it's a gift from God to be able to wait well, and He is there to aid us to be able to wait well. And we saw that last week in the story of Job. Job, the man who is just the epitome of of misery, and, and, oh, this just doesn't seem fair, and, man, this was a hard... A, a life to have. And yet we also know Job as a man of great patience. We even use the phrase from time to time, the patience of Job. And so, so somehow in this, all this misery that Job had, losing his children, losing his farm and all of his belongings, losing his health, being covered from boil, with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, we see that he did wait well. And one of the things I hope that you took away from kind of that really fast uh, scurry through 42 chapters of Job last week is that one of the elements of waiting well, how do we wait well, is that we have to find a place to place our hope. And I want you to know that Job already had that relationship with God, but it was God who initiated and reaffirmed that hope in Job's life. As he took him out and said, now, Job, I just want to remind you, Job, where were you when I was hanging stars and making planets and doing all these things? It was a kind and wonderful God who approached Job in that time that he needed to have some kind of form of something to build that hope. And God gave it through that visitation and through that vision that he gave to Job. And so that's kind of where we left last week, that that Job starts out that he says, okay, in Job thirteen fifteen, though he slay me. Those are not usually words that we use with God. Those kind of aggressive words. Those are words that kind of are attacking and questionable. And yet Job says, though, though he slay me, my whole life is falling apart. I will hope in him. How do we wait well? 
We put our attention and our affection and we put our minds onto Christ. We put our mind onto the sovereignty of God and His holiness and all the things that we just affirmed in our worship this morning by song. Job says this in the midst of the most uh, uh, darkness that you and I could not even begin to imagine. And he puts his hope in the person of God. Okay, When I say the person of God, what I mean by there is the character of God, who God is. He is sovereign. He is loving. He is kind. We could go on. He is a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of judgment. We're not going to apologize for those because that's who God is. And really all Job had at that point when he said, I loathe my life. <laughs> It'd been better for me not to have been born than to, to have this life. He was that dark into that pit of despair. The only thing that he could see is, is that, that God knew him and the character of God, the person of God. All of Job's hope was not in his circumstances, but in the person of God. And while many of us will never face the trials that Job faced, we will have times in our lives when we feel like the only hope that we have is the person of God. There's going to be times in your life and in my life that we can't look to uh, the world, kind of those circumstances that we're challenged with, of all just kind of lining up and working out. Our hope will be in God, in the person of God. So one of the foundations that we discovered last week of waiting well in times of darkness and trouble and challenge is to put our focus on the person of God. Well, this morning we're going to go another step and we're going to find a person who put their hope not just in the person of God, but they kind of took it to another level and that they had a promise from God. Isn't it amazing that when you get a promise, if it's from a trustworthy person, how that can encourage you? I don't know about you, but there's been times in my lives when, uh, you know, you've been challenged on something and somebody would come up by, especially like maybe you're uh, in charge of something and you need some help. And then all of a sudden three or four people come up after church and say, well, Bobby, I can be there. I'll help. And all of a sudden their promise, knowing that they're going to fulfill that, that they're going to show up at this time and, and help out, how it just lifts your soul from its place of kind of a, a heaviness like, oh, my goodness, this thing's going to fall apart to a place of hope. Well, that's what we begin to see here today. But we also know that with the promise, the promise is as only as good as the person who gives it. Are there people in your life, you don't have to name names, that, that if they gave you a promise that you're going, okay, that's worth about maybe not even a penny. And, and because promises by themselves, just promises, are pretty cheap, pretty empty if they're not backed up with the person, and that person is one that you can count on. And that's what, kind of what we see this morning. You know, we can see that somebody, a used car salesman can promise you that this is a great car, and that this lady only drove it to church on Sundays. The, it's, the car's only been driven to church and back from church every Sunday. Wonderful car. But if you don't trust that salesman, if that used car salesman is known to be a man of questionable character, is that promise any good? So promises are not the secret. It's a promise from a person that you know has the security, the ability to fulfill that in your life. Faith and hope. A lot of times we'll call this second candle. Uh, we put a focus on love. Other times, if you look at other Advent uh, calendars and, 
and focuses, they'll call this the, the candle of faith. And, and this year we're going to go with the candle of faith, that we put faith in what God has promised. Hope and faith really seem similar. We had this discussion in Life Group this morning, and we began to talk back and forth about which one precedes the other, kind of like the chicken and the egg, which one comes first. And we could make a valid point that, that faith is built on hope and, and that hope is built on faith. And the truth is, while they are not twins, they are cousins. Okay, They're not the same thing because we see too many listings in the Bible when it talks about faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these. You know, it separates those. And, and yet we come to a place in the Word where we believe that where we can see how these work together, faith and hope. I know you turned to Luke chapter 2. I hope that you did. But go real fast to Hebrews 11.1 1, or just look at the, the scripture on the screen this morning. Because where you find hope, I, we believe that we're going to be able to build upon that uh, uh, the factor of faith. They, they share in a relationship. They feed one another. And as some would say, hope builds on the foundation of faith. There is great truth in that. Look what the scripture says, where it uses faith and hope in the same verse. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So you, you had your hope, and then faith is actually this assurance that kind of comes on top of hope. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. From this verse, and I am open to argument and discussion, and we had, not argument, but we had discussion in life group this morning about how these interact. I would say that from this verse, that faith is the working out of my hope. I put it this way. It's easy to get distracted in life. And when I need hope in dark places and silent times of God and different things like that, I need my mind and my heart, my affection and my attention to be on the right things. And hope is where God and his wisdom and his love kind of points us to him, the person of God. That's what he did, I believe, with Job. Job goes, I I loathe my life. It would have been better for me never to have been born to go through all this. And God in his mercy and kindness comes to Job and he says, okay, Job, I I know these things are troubling and, and I agree that they're troubling, but let me put your mind and your attention Job, where were you when I was making stars? Job, have you walked on the bottom of the ocean? Job, have you ever told the sun to come up? And if you did, did it obey you? Over 60 questions that he asked. For what purpose? To kind of rub Job's nose into the fact that his life seemed to be falling apart? No, to take his attention and his focus and to put it on the person of who God is, his character. All these characteristics of God, his holiness, that he is creator God. Well, we begin to see that. Now, this hope is essential in waiting well, and it sets our focus. But faith, we begin to see, is is where we begin to set our feet into action with this focus. See, it's one thing for you to say, I hope this works out. It's another thing for you to actually start to to take the steps of faith. Would you agree? Remember in the Old Testament, there's times that God had challenges for the nation of Israel and he would tell them something and they said, well, we hope that happens. We hope we get out of Egypt. We can hope that we can cross this river. 
But it was their faith built upon that hope that allowed them to say, okay, I'm going to go down there. And remember when they had to cross the river and it was at flood stage? And what did they have to do before the, the, the river froze up? They had to put their foot in it. When they put their foot in it, an act of faith, then all of a sudden it stopped. Remember that? So hope, did they have hope when they were still over here looking at the river? Yeah, they had hope. God had given them a word. But it was that faith that kind of caused them to action. And I believe that you and I, in our walk with Jesus Christ, that we have to have the hope and the faith. Hope sets our attention on the person of God. Faith begins to enact these promises of God. And we begin to see that in the life of the one that we'll read about this morning in Luke chapter 2. Hope and faith working together to call a man by the name of Simeon who is waiting, and it gives him the ability to wait well. To set the context of this passage, this is uh, in the first weeks after Jesus is born, uh, the first couple months. Uh, it was Jewish law back in those days that if you were a, a, a young Hebrew child, that you would be circumcised on the eighth day. And we see that happen in Luke 2.21, that they circumcised Jesus in obedience to the law. And then in the 40th day after uh, a child was born, uh, really the mom and the family would come and they would bring the, fam- uh, the, the child. And it was really a rites of purification for the mother. For 40 days, they were considered, the, the mother was considered ceremonially unclean. They could not go in the temple. During that time, they were considered to, to have a time way. And I know a lot of you ladies are hearing that and going, that's just offensive to me. And, and I understand that. Understand that that was a part of just the tr- Jewish traditions. But they would come on the 40th day and they would present the child. And one of the things that would happen in this purification, uh, the, the priest would, would have this uh, ceremony of purification. And this was just Levitical law. You can go back to Leviticus 12 and read it. Um, all the great details there. It's very exciting. Leviticus, Leviticus is all exciting. And, uh, and you can see that it was established. And so once God established it, you can agree with it or disagree with it. Now it calls for obedience. And Mary and Joseph were obedient to Jewish law, to God's law and his commands. So they're going to the temple on this 40th day. And look what it says in Luke 2.22. And the time, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, again, that's Leviticus 12, they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And when they get there to the temple, they find this man by the name of Simeon. And look how it describes Simeon in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And I, I wish those two words would go with my name in the description. Somebody would call you out and say, hey, Dustin, man. That Dustin, righteous and devout. Isn't that an honorable thing? Should we not aspire for that? And so this guy is a good guy. You know, he loves God and he loves God well. And he's described as righteous and devout. And, and he was doing what? What does it say? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So this is a guy that's waiting and it says specifically that he's waiting for something specifically. What does it say that Simeon is waiting for? 
the consolation of Israel. Does anybody want to stand up and give a dissertation or a, a quick explanation of, of the consolation of Israel? What is that? That's okay, you don't have to do that. It's not really all that difficult. What is to console somebody? To comfort them. And that's what the word consolation, that's a great synonym for that, it's comfort. And what he's waiting for is the comfort of Israel. Now, this was a familiar uh, kind of thought, a wording for the coming of the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they were waiting for this consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. And so here we have Simeon. He's a righteous man. He's a devout man. He's going to the temple. He's waiting. And get this, guys. He is waiting well. Why? Because he's waiting, and he's waiting very specifically for God to do what God had promised. For 400 years, there had not been a prophet that gave a prophetic message. I'm not saying that God did not speak in, in one way and maybe to individuals, but there was not a word from God, so to speak, like we see in the Old Testament, when a word from God would come uh, either by the Spirit of God or by a prophet. For 400 years, we see this darkness, this separation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's hard for you and I to even imagine 400 years, but especially 400 years of silence. God had been very active. Would you say that God was very active in the Old Testament? That even though he should have abandoned Israel in one way in our own understanding because of their rebellion against him, but he didn't. He kept on loving them. He kept on being faithful keeping his covenant even when they broke their covenants against him. And so we see this faithful God, but now for 400 years there is silence. And yet Simeon comes and and he's faithful. And he comes to the temple and he waits. And he waits well. Verse 26. God had made him a special promise. Look what it says. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This man of God who's righteous and devout, a promise was given to him. Now this is before the dwelling of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is before Pentecost. But what we do see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come and make, if we call it visitation to people. He would speak to people in the Old Testament. He did that to to a lot of the prophets, and he did that to a lot of the the men and the women. He would give them this word. Remember when he told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be a father of many, many uh, descendants. These are words that God gave to people in the Old Testament. Here we see an example of the very Spirit of God coming and giving a word to this righteous man, Simeon. Simeon, Simeon, here's, here's the promise that I give you. You will not die before you see the Messiah. We were talking about that in life group this morning. Can you imagine the anticipation of coming to the temple every day? When I was in seminary, I got to sit under this wonderful, wonderful teacher, Dr. Roy Fish, one of the most, one of the greatest theologians, man of God that I'll ever Meet. And on the first day of class, and he would do this in every semester, but it was not a trite, it was not a game, it wasn't him just trying to be funny or, or anything. He would say, 
And he got the, kind of the edge of the, the crowd of, of all the students. He said, guys, it doesn't happen every semester. Sometimes it doesn't happen for several semesters. But every once in a while, the very Spirit of God fills this room in the midst of the times that we're studying what we're studying. And, and I've seen the work of God. I can't put it on the calendar. I can't tell you if it's going to happen this semester. But I've seen it before. I was telling the, the group this morning, I didn't miss a day of that class. I missed other classes. Because every day as you approached that class with Dr. Roy Fish, what do you think the class was asking? Could this be the day? And the one thing you didn't want to happen is to, to miss a day and come back the next day and go, Bobby, you are not here. You said, guess what happened? What Dr. Fish was talking about. <laughs> this man, Simeon, righteous, a man of God, is given a promise from God that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. Can you imagine every day that he comes to the temple that he's asking what question? Could this be the day? And when we look in Luke chapter 2, finally that day comes. Look at verse 27 through 29. Simeon is waiting. He's waiting for comfort, the comfort of, you know, this consolation of Israel. And look what happens. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. His hope was in the person of God, that God is faithful and he keeps his promises. But his faith was activated by the promise of God. Hope and faith working together in our lives. Does that make sense to you? How there's a differentiation. How hope gives us a foundation. You were talking about this foundation that we have of Jesus Christ, this solid rock. Well, in one way, hope is this foundation. It gets my attention and my affection off of my circumstances and it places them on this holy God who is sovereign and righteous in every way. And then it's the promises of God that activate my heart and my life in faith. He comes to a place of his life and he says, I mean, can you imagine him taking the baby Jesus and he knows that this promise has been fulfilled and can you imagine that he holds up Jesus and what's the first words out of his mouth? Now I can die in peace. Remember Job said, I loathe my life. And if we were Job, we would have said the same thing. I I hate my life. Simeon, because he places his hope on who God is, this person of God, and then he makes it, he activates it by this promise of God. He says, now I can die, not just die, I can die in peace. Because not only do I know the person of God, but I've seen the promises of God fulfilled. Look at verse 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of the people of Israel. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. That, that waiting got intensified when you made a promise that I would not die until I saw the Christ child. And, and now that that has been fulfilled, and I know you in the, the person of the holy God that you are, and I know the fulfillment of your promise, I can die in peace. He was waiting for the consolation of what? Israel. The comfort of Israel, of a nation. And, and now what could he say? I can die with the consolation of Simeon. I can die with the peace in my own heart because I see what God you are bringing to the world you've personalized to me. Let me rephrase that. I hope I'm not doing injustice to the word. God, I can die in comfort because I know that you've brought the one who will bring victory over death. God, I believe all your promises because now I have seen the promised one. Can, can we show that painting? Uh, years ago, Ron Diasani uh, did all kinds of different paintings. Um, uh, you've probably seen some of those where uh, a father is praying by the bedside over his children, a mom praying over the bedside of, of her kids. He, he's the one that did a lot of those. And, and this is one of Simeon. A righteous and devout man. A man who is waiting. But a man who waited well. Why was he able to wait well when that is so contrary to our human nature? Because he knew the person of God. And he knew the promises of God. There is no secret here. In our dilemmas of life and in the challenges of life, when there's 400 years of darkness in our own life and it seems to be compacted down to 40 days or, or 40 weeks or 40 minutes, whatever it might be, the answer has not changed. Your hope and your faith is in the person of God and the promise of God. Well, Pastor, I, I think maybe I'd be like Simeon too if God spoke to me. Guys, we hold the promises of God. Does the Spirit still make promises? Yes. In the still small voice, when we're still, He still speaks to us. But we hold a whole book of His Word. This is the living Word of God. This is not a historical record for the sake of historical record. This is the living Word of God. So that when you're in your 40 days, 400 years of darkness, you can open up the precious Word of God and you can say, my God, I know Him as a person, as the the person of God, the character of God, but I know the promises of God. And when He says that He will never leave me or forsake me, I can claim that. Not because I am worthy, but because the one who made the promise. The key is, is not just, you know, a promise without a promisor that is worthy. It's not worth a penny. But a promise from one who hung stars and made planets, who loved you so much that he said, I will bring a redeemer because you could never wait, work your way back to me. So I will, I will make a way to you. 
And I would do it by coming and clothing myself in flesh and dying on the cross so that you can have an ability to come to me. He weighed it well by two things that are possible in your life today. Sometimes we look at that Old Testament stuff and we look at biblical stuff and we go, man, I just wish that could happen in my life. This can happen in our lives. What Job knew, what Simeon knew, is available to you and I today. We can know the person of God, the character of God, because he's revealed that in his word. And we can know the promises of God. Because he instructed men to, to write it down so that we could open up the word of God and that we could say, He won't leave me. He he won't forsake me. Every promise has been made. Amen. In Jesus Christ. And that's why Simeon could say, now I can die, but not just die. I can what? Die in peace. The consolation of Israel had become the consolation of Simeon. And the consolation that God has offered to this world, I pray that today it becomes your consolation because you know the person of God and you know the promises of God and you know them in an intimate way. And so this morning we, we hope this second, we light this, this second uh, candle. Sometimes it represents love and we use it for that theme, but oftentimes we also, also call this the, the, the candle of faith. Hope, God directing our attention and our affection to him. Faith, God making promises to enact our faith, to to move in our feet, to go forward and act upon what he has promised in our lives. You want to wait well? These two guys give us a pretty good suggestion of how to do it. Hope and faith. And who God is. And that's why we can sing in, in just a moment, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let, let's be honest. I, I don't know how many times last week you began to ask yourself, you know, you began to anticipate, hey, Christ could come today. I know I didn't. I, I confess. I did not approach last week every morning, hey, today could be the day. He made the promise today could be the day. That's why we, we do Advent. This is where we focus our mind on these promises of God so that we can not only wait through 400 years of silence, but that we can wait well. Let's pray together, Father. Folks, Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, we want to be people that wait well. So, Father, will you help us? Thank you that, like Job, Father, that you can turn our attention and our affection to you. Father, thank you that you have given us promises in your word that can enact faith and and ignite faith in our lives. Father, we do not claim to be righteous like Simeon. Father, I don't know that we would use some of these words devout 
to describe our own lives. But Father, we thank you that you've made this available to people who were not righteous, were not devout, to sinners just like me. And it's all based on this, this king that you brought. That you would send your own son to die in our place. To forgive us for all of our sins. To bring us the consolation, the comfort of being made right with the holy God. We love you and we thank you, Father. As we sing this song to you, an anticipation, Father, that we might wait well for your son's return. And we pray this in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.